Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Welcome back to Curse, Code, and Crown, a live play Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition podcast featuring a fully original world and campaign. I am the wizard Cronox, observer of time. Curse, Code, and Crown features our regular voiceover artists and improvisers, Laura Hamstra as the Orc Countant Ida and Princess Gwendolyn. Tyler Hewitt as Maka Deathcap, and Ryan LaPlante as Duncan Kindano, alongside our Dungeon Master, the incredible Tom McGee. So get ready for an adventure including thrills, chills, and hope for a brighter tomorrow! It's time for Curse Code and Crown! Improbably, the Fibonacci sequence song is excellent. It is top to bottom, a phenomenally musically accurate representation of the very spirit of the thing and uh, manages to capture all the uh, mysterious and powerful beauty of the sequence. Ida, how do you respond to it? Ida is quite disarmed by it, hmm. as it is her disarming theorem. Um, yeah, she's like fucking into it. I mean... I don't know how much music there is in the empire of numbers, but like, I think there's a lot of like passion in this that she doesn't often feel mm -hmm. in like her, her academic circles. Well, and I think the rare mix of, uh, Remy's like clear understanding of the actual sequence, as well as his ability to recognize the beauty in it is something that's truly rare. I would say yeah. there probably isn't, there's likely study music in the Empire of Numbers, I would imagine. I, yeah. I feel like there would just be like likely some um in all likelihood, like vaguely personum non grata people who like play music quietly <laughs> to help people study. But it's not considered like a, an honorable thing. Like it's probably considered like a oh you're a study musician? <laughs> Sorry. Um <laughs> But uh, this is something else altogether. So he finishes the song um, and uh, kind of uh, seeing your reaction, um, he, he kind of nods to himself and says, uh, I must admit, I have uh, never played that song for anyone before uh, other than myself as I've uh, practiced it. I could not think of anyone who would uh, appreciate the nuance uh, nor the, uh, the entire experience, really. Uh, I am uh, very grateful that you uh, have, have listened and given me the time. Uh, you should play this for everyone. The world should should know the beauty uh, of what you have created here. I I would like to. I would learn this. I would gladly learn this. I would have you play for me for for uh, honestly over and over and over again. Um, and like a small. Do you have other number sequences? Ah, <laughs> uh, this is a. Uh, and like he he's very touched by that, and then um, sort of a small grin appears, and he says, "I have been waiting my whole life for someone to ask that question. 
<laughs> says, but uh, before I begin to delve deep into my repertoire of numerical sequence musicals, <laughs> um, you said you have wanted to learn. I will play this for you uh, in the night, in the day, as many times as you want so you can learn it. I will travel the world with you, teach you these things. But if you wish to study it yourself, as I imagine one as studious as you may, and he uh, he reaches into um, his uh, his like sling bag and um, pulls out a sheath of papers, um, and he uh, he um, hands you uh, the uh, the score uh, to the Fibonacci sequence. And he says, I've committed all of these to memory. It will be nothing at all for me to recreate them at a later date. Uh, but I have here uh, many such songs. Do you have an instrument on which to play them? Or do you dish wish to observe them and study them? I, I do not have an instrument. However, I have money. I can buy one. Uh, do, do ah. you ha where can I get an instrument? Will you teach this to me now? I can learn. I learn yes. very quickly. I have no doubt, madame, there is a fantastic store full of wonderful instruments. Follow me. Um, she literally and, like grabs his hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he, you grab his hand uh, and together uh, the two of you kind of go like happily like traipsing through uh, through the market on en route to uh, the musical instrument store. Um, Gwendolyn, uh, you, got, you got one more... Uh, one more person you can meet and, and speak to. Um, what is, uh, who do you try and talk to next? Gwendolyn goes to the nearest intersection that's full of people and just kind of in frustration as a last ditch effort, just says, hello, all right, everyone. Hello, attention, please. Um, I'm trying to make things better in Gren. I'd like to solve some societal problems is there anyone who could tell me what's wrong with the world? What needs to get better? I'd like to know so I can help. I may be in a position to help one day. I am the queen of Orvel. Anybody at all? <sighs> Fuck, man. I don't know to make your roll for this, but it's got to be something. <laughs> um... Let's just go with a. Let's Is there a desperation check? <laughs> yeah, honestly, um, I'd say uh, I would take persuasion or just a straight charisma save. I think would be the two that I would be looking at. Here. <laughs> persuasion, please. <laughs> it's a it's a ten. Jeez, man, ten. I cannot roll like above a six. Um, all right, so um, Laura, can you roll me a d six, please? Yes, I Technically can. Technically a D3. So if you want to do the math on that, you sure thing. That's a one. A one. Okay. Um uh you hear that and um there's a uh a, a, no one responds. Um <laughs> everyone kind of uh look, looks up at you and they all like like shout a thing, but they're all things like maybe no more war would be great, or like, hey, I know, how about all the people back home aren't assholes? Someone else is like, I'm too tall. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you kind of like get down off your soapbox, realizing it's kind of useless. And um, a uh, you hear a, a, a like a hacking cough uh, behind you and a, a stooped figure in kind of a ratty gray shawl 
um, comes sort of shuffling out of the um, out of the darkness. Uh, you can tell that uh, this person's an orc uh, as well, mm-hmm. um, but uh, they seem to be um, covering their their kind of nose and mouth um, with almost a, a clamshell. Like it, it seems to be a carved wood piece um, that they're hacking into um, as as they cough. Um, and uh, as they they approach, you can actually see that. Uh, uh, they've got massive scarring on their face, um, um, and uh, they uh, they kind of shuffle up up to you. And um, she uh, pulls away the uh, the mask, and she just says, uh, "You're wondering what is wrong with Orville." Well, and 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 Gren as a whole. Gren, yes, of course, of course, Gren. I know nothing about Orvel. I do know about Gren. And then she kind of laughs and, and coughs and says, you'll have to forgive me. My injuries have made me uh, somewhat con- confused, uh, somewhat frail, but I can help you, I think. Tell me, do you know of the synergy phase? I'm sorry, the synergy phase? She nods and she says, it is not well known outside of the Empire. Pray tell, could could you buy me some water? I'll tell you what I know and perhaps the high price I paid to know it will be of some avail to you. Of course. And I think I would probably lead her. We'd go to the nearest wherever. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of stalls nearby. Also, people are are handing out things, but you can tell that... um, uh, this, this woman seems to be quite proud, and the idea of just like asking for something she needs seems outside of her uh, ability uh, yeah. right now. So um, yeah, you get her a drink, um, and the two of you, I think, kind of like pull up a pull up a log. Um, there's uh, there's uh, some musicians playing nearby. Um, you know, occasionally, uh, you know, you see young lovers walking by hand in hand. Um, just sort of standard festival fare, um, and Ida uh, and a dwarf go skipping by. Yeah, just go skipping by. You've never seen Ida smile before. It's very <laughs> strange. Um, but generally speaking, it's uh, you're you're kind of isolated enough um, that that you can talk. And um, says, uh, "My name is uh, Alona Greywell. I was formerly a." Economist with the Empire of Numbers. My job was to determine the way the uh, the way money flowed throughout Gren. They ask you to look into trends and, and predict them sometimes. Uh, so I did. I noticed some abnormalities. Some, some changes to the market that should not have been occurring. These things don't just happen. Someone always causes them, but often it is like dropping a small pebble in a pond. The ripples start large and get smaller and smaller, but they're still there. So I began to follow them. Before I tell you any more, you said you might be in a position to help one day. What did you mean? Well, I mean, I know Orville's quite small, so I know that being the queen of that wouldn't really help much here, but I, I've i been 
I've been traveling around and and getting other other people and and groups of folks um, to to uh, essentially uh, proclaim their interest in in joining an alliance of equals that I'm proposing and would like to put together. So and she that- grabs your forearm as you say that, like very abruptly, with a speed you wouldn't really expect from her. Um, and if you had flesh, she'd be digging her fingers into it. And I think based on the way we've described your senses, it's enough that you can kind of feel her intent, even though obviously she can't yeah. dig through metal. Um, and she just says, who has joined you? Well, there's a bunch of folks. Who? Um, can't remember at the moment because I wrote them down somewhere. And it would take me a while to get the sheet of paper out. (laughs) And the Empire join you? Well, we haven't really been to the Empire yet, so Um, they haven't agreed to join us. Uh, I mean... Are you allied with them? uh, Not really. I mean, I'm not not allied with them, but also, like, there's no really active alliance with them. Uh, they're rather large, and I would want to have like a little bit more kind of security and confidence of like the other people before kind of approaching them. So she, I don't uh, really know. There's something nefarious going on there, as she far as I know. Your arm um, and kind of uh, coughs into her mask again, and uh, says. You should be very careful with them. You should do your due diligence. They are a poison. Um, And then she just raises the glass and says, thank you for the water. I fear you were not who I was looking for. Um, And uh, she will get up and uh, begin to shuffle away. I have a friend from the Empire. <laughs> just calls after her. Um, she stops, uh, turns, and lowers her mask and says, They did this to me. I have no friends in the Empire. Um, and then uh, putting the mask back on, she sort of shuffles off into, into the crowd. Well, I already bloody knew that the Empire was shady. Hmm. <sighs> Huh. Um, meanwhile, uh, back in, I don't know, inception, I guess, uh, <laughs> deep inside your mind, uh, Duncan, um, you, uh, stand wearing gloriously golden armor. Um, your coppers are polished, pristine, uh, you wear uh, a full uh, cape of velvet. Uh, your hat is fucking immaculate. This is if Plato's like ideal of hat for a swashbuckler existed, it is now upon your head. Your beard, perfect. Your sword, as light as a feather, as keen as a razor. Um, the whole Bang family has showed up. Uh, you know, all the kids, the cousins, the nephews. 
um, the nieces. You've got bandoliers, uh, not so much that they weigh you down, but enough that you can do whatever you need to do. Um, and before you, smiling up at you, is a legion of Dawnbreakers. Uh, you can see Nibs. Uh, you can see the folks from the Bone Spurs. Um, off to one side, you see Maka um, sort of smiling approvingly, um, looking resplendent, uh, you know, shell-polished, um, wearing coppers himself. Um, Ita is uh, currently sitting off to one side, not wearing coppers, because I don't think you'd really necessarily want to bring her in on that, but um, acting as quartermaster, um, making sure that everyone is equipped. All the weapons are new. Um, they're, uh, you know, the most recent off the line. Emulium shines uh, in, in the armor of, of your, your troops. Um, and you realize uh, that uh, you have become uh, the leader of the Dawnbreakers of Orvel. Um, the glorious golden wings of the city uh, sort of flap in the distance. And uh, you feel a... Um, sort of a firm hand land uh, on your shoulder as um, Queen Gwendolyn Kinsolaris of uh, Orvel um, sweeps up next to you, um, you know, uh, wearing uh, an appropriate gown uh, to her station. Um, Orvel stands polished. Say person or suit of armor? No, person. Um, okay. Uh, as you remembered her, but slightly older, slightly wiser, and with uh, with uh, the confidence you'd always hope to instill in her. Uh, Gwendolyn, uh, as Queen of Orvel, um, your, your long-standing mentor and friend uh, has finally been promoted to the rank he should be. How do you greet um, uh, Duncan Kindano, uh, Lord Commander of the Dawnbreakers? I don't know how I would greet him or how Duncan thinks that Gwendolyn would greet how him. How this version of Gwendolyn would, would greet him. Um, idealized, everything worked out for the best, always, forever, nothing ever went wrong. Um, Duncan Candano! We did it! Uh, and a, a, like a laugh and, and a cheer goes up from the crowd. Uh, it's always irked you a little bit, Duncan, but um, the the somewhat casual tone of uh, of Gwendolyn has resonated well with people who are used to incredibly facetious, uh, you know, rulers who put on airs. Um, there's there's something to this kind of <laughs> casual, admittedly again to you, like kind of nails on a chalkboard, but in a kind of a loving like, yep, that's that's family way. Um, and uh, you uh, you find yourself ready to uh, to address uh, the legion. Um, knowing what we've described earlier about your feelings about home, I feel like this one actually feels more fake than the other two in a pretty oh. solid way. Oh yeah, I think he steps up to the podium, and he's about to say the words "my friends." When he looks down at his hands, and he realizes he's wearing fucking armor. And he doesn't do that. <laughs> and then he looks down and sees coppers on Maka, which has got to be the biggest red flag in the universe because Maka gives not a solitary shit about justice. And Gwendolyn's body has burned over his shoulder. So there is a, a coal in his chest that screams that this is not real as he takes it all in. 
what am I rolling here, Tom? Um, so you're very much in your element for this one because uh, due to the damage you've inflicted and now the damage being inflicted outside, this is a shit last-ditch effort to kind of trap your mind. Um, so I'm going to say this is uh, charisma with advantage. Okay, cool. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is a 25. 25. Um, you step up to the podium um, and now having a more full understanding of kind of what's happening and, and how you can affect it, um, you uh, prepare to address the troops successfully on your, your drive. So having rolled a success, how do you address the troops? Yeah, he turns up and he just says, my friends, this isn't real. Uh, and he will draw his sword, spin, and just run Gwendolyn through, just right through the chest. Um, Gwendolyn, uh, Gwendolyn's eyes go wide um, as, uh, as the sword uh, passes uh, through her. Um, and uh, as, as her mouth kind of works, um, blood starting to kind of uh, puddle out of it. She just says, why would you do this to your friend, Maka? I, I, I mean, Gwendolyn, I, I, and suddenly you start hearing the snap of um, uh, strings, um, just that discordant, like, violin string snapping all around you. Um, and each time one does, one of the figures before you falls over. Um, and, um, as, uh, Gwendolyn begins to rapidly age, uh, before you long wispy beard sprouting from her face, um, her ears sharpening to points, um, she just kind of, uh, mutters to you, I was going to give you everything you wanted this time. Why couldn't you have just enjoyed it? What the fuck is going on? Who are you? Um, and uh, he uh, now everything has kind of fallen away, and you're you're just kind of standing in a liminal space with him on the end of your sword, and he uh, the the sigil of uh, the Order of Champions glowing quite brightly on him and you, um, and he just says, uh, "My name is Manx." And I have survived this cursed game for generations. I just wanted to make instruments. We had a stalemate, all of us, none better or worse than the others. And then you broke it by entering the tournament now. The peace has ended. And now there will be only death for you, as you have made for me. Who runs this tournament? Who's the organizer? Um, And he, he kind of coughs on blood and says, We couldn't upend the stalemate. And thus none were able to face them. 
No one knows who they are. We only know their voice and their rules. And then as, as he starts to clearly fade, he actually kind of just grabs, grabs you uh, by the shoulders and he says, I didn't want this for you either, but it has found you. You must end it. Kill us all if you must, but find the voice. Find the one at the top and destroy them, please. I swear that will occur. Who's coming for me next? Who must I hunt for? Um, and he, uh, just like is very clearly fading. You can hear now that the crashing of instruments, um, as Maka and his mob, uh, do their work. Um, and, uh, as he, he just, um, uh, sort of grasps at you, he says, uh, nearest here, beware of troll kind. Um, and then he, uh, he slumps kind of like almost into your arms. I think given the conversation you've had with him, I feel like this probably is like a boot him off the end of your blade. No, 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 no. Situation. I, he did. Uh, Duncan legitimately had no problem with this dude. He does not know if he's even killed a fighter before. This guy yep. appears to have just been played into this. If he had not gone after Duncan in his mind, Duncan may very well have surrendered and he's fully aware of that. So mm -hmm. this is a dark moment for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, as, uh, as he, he sort of slumps into your arms, um, he, uh, he just kind of like hums, uh, a couple notes, um, badly because his lung is punctured and he's, he's going down, but he just says, uh, it is best to die with music. Don't you agree? Um, and then he, he slumps over. There's a blast of energy and electricity uh, as you are thrown backward. Um, suddenly you are very much in a real space. Um, the tent implodes around you as you're thrust backward out of it. Maka, you and your, your crowd finish smashing instruments um, and see just a horrific force throw Duncan and the tent back. Um, Ita, you and Remy arrive just in time to see Maka trash exactly what you were after. This, the, what? Uh, the, I, this, what? Uh, this, what? Merde. Um, Gwendolyn, by this point, uh, you're starting to make your way over as well. Um, uh, this has actually caused a huge commotion for all the little small fights. Mm -hmm. Something of this, also like the blast of energy from the uh, the, the quickening effect that we've described previously that uh, hits Duncan um is uh is quite something and it has drawn a lot of attention um duncan you hear the voice in your head um once again uh just kind of um chuckle and say um you need not mourn for manx trust me there was blood enough on his tools you have done well initiate i look forward to meeting you one day if you make it that long, enjoy your newfound power. You have earned it. Um, and uh, with that, uh, Duncan, you uh, you come to. 
um, as Maka rushing forward kind of helps pull you out of a uh, thing. Nibs is there too. Hadrian is, is nearby. They're all kind of rushing to your, to your aid. Uh, but of course you're fine once you get out of the fucking tent, which is as always an undignified mess of flailing arms and broken lutes and owls and other things that you owls. A W, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Alls. Wood carving shit. Yeah. Alls, thank you. Yeah. Uh, wood carving shit uh, as you kind of uh, force your way to Manx's tent. Damn it. There's another one of the tournament people. I saw no other combatants. Are you, are you well? Are you victorious? If you go in there, you'll find the corpse of an old man who I wanted to talk to, not murder. Hmm. He struck first. There was no other option. In terms of necromancy and healing, how long does someone have to be dead before you can't bring them back in actuality? Mm, there is more and more powerful magics available to me. If he has remains and I have access to the right ingredients, oils, unguents, these things, I may be able to resurrect this man. Um, you feel a, a hand on your shoulder and um, Hadrian is there and he says, whatever tools, whatever ingredients you need, mark a death cap, we will obtain them for you. We still have a lot of the wealth of the treasury at our disposal. And I met another of your kind with a large coat full of crap that I'm sure could oblige. There is a caveat to this. This is life magic, not death magic. The soul, the spirits, must be willing to return. If there is no soul to return to the body then there is nothing i can do duncan can you roll me an insight check yeah 13. um he seemed like he was done you don't think that a revival would would necessarily work here also um nibs kind of pokes his head up from the tent and he says uh there's uh there's there's some uh orange electricity and ash in here but I don't think uh, a body necessarily uh does this help and he just kind of like holds up a fistful of ash that's slowly kind of blowing away in the wind I'm imagining that it's not gonna work for you hmm. unclear from the um, last conversation I had with the man. I don't think he felt like he was living a life worth living. And I cannot know whether he was a monster or no, which normally would put me on the side of bringing him back and determining his fate. But if he was ready to go and end a curse one way or the other, perhaps it's best that you just allow him or help him on his way with whatever gifts the core of Jassy has lent you. Hmm. Hmm. Hand, hand the ashes here. Um, so yes, Nibs kind of gathers them up. Um, as he does so, um, I'm going to say, uh, Tyler, that um, Hadrian talks with uh, Rusk Oliver to get the ingredients you need. Um, 
he knows you're not necessarily going to use them now, but he also, I think, has realized there's nothing he could spend the wealth of Orvel on that would be more useful than you having this. Okay. Um, given that you guys have kind of proven to be more useful than anything he could buy. So just assume you have those now um, as you, you perform these rites. Okay. Not that you need them for this, but just yeah. you have them for a future. Okay. I'm just going to make a note of that. Um, yeah, I will uh, I will take the ash and I will, um, in my cupped hand, carefully pour it uh, into the hollow uh, of one of the uh, guitars, one of the lutes mm-hmm. that was still unbroken. Sure. Uh, and basically uh, gather up as much of the instruments in the tent as possible to basically create kindling. And I'm going to cast uh, Produce Flame to just kind of create a, a pyre. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Great. Um, so the uh, the instruments ignite um, on uh, on your touch and uh, to the uh, solemn amazement of the surrounded crowd, who's still admittedly quite panicked and, um, and, and agitated, um, Improbably, you hear uh, a few beautiful, perfect, mournful notes uh, come off the blaze, um, and with them, you can almost feel uh, this this man having kind of let go. Um, and it's a, admittedly a, a beautiful send off um, that is unfortunately interrupted uh, by the caretaker. Um, Mags appears as she often does uh, through the crowd. And um, just kind of uh, shaking her head sadly, says, um, I appreciate what you have done for Manx, truly an exile of note. His home is far from here and far changed. Unfortunately, you have committed a murder here as guests. I know, and she kind of like looks to the, the icon on your chest, uh, Duncan, that's still fading. Um, you know it's there. Everyone else doesn't see it. She definitely sees it. Mm-hmm. She says, I am aware of why. Knowing Manx, he likely struck first. Mm-hmm. Is this true? Correct. That makes this all the harder. To keep this place safe, I have woven in very specific spells with very specific rules. The one that has kept us the safe longest is the hex against those who commit murders here. You will unfortunately be banished now from the exile's moon. Know that I bear you no ill will, Duncan. But you, your friends, and all other guests must leave. Though I know you meant no ill from this, and I know your friends are still here, I will allow you to continue to see, even from a distance, through our little delusion. You may wait for your friends in the nearby ridge, but you may never return here. The last thing I want to do is create more exiles, and yet, and she kind of spreads her hands wide, says, and yet I must. Please forgive me and understand why I must do what I do. 
I will respect your rules. I guess. There's not really a point to having an argument about this. I will say that you have created a land where people cannot defend themselves without being banished suggests that you are a haven for murderers and not for those who would survive assassination attempts. I would consider changing this system. Otherwise, you reward the criminal and you punish those that should be defended. Um, she nods and um, uh, starts to kind of raise herself up to her full height. And you realize she's uh, quite a bit taller than um, her sort of slouch stance would let on. Um, and she actually places a hand on your shoulder um, and says, This is wisdom, Duncan. I assure you, if an exile does violence to another exile, they meet justice at my hands. These rules, unfortunately, apply to guests. But rest assured, justice is and has been done here. And she just slowly moves the hat back and forth. And you notice that there are truly a lot of trinkets on her hat and woven into her hair and actually on her cloak. Um, and you can almost hear the faint sound of a scream, uh, a chorus of screams as she does so. Um, and uh, she nods to you and says, farewell, servant of justice. And farewell to the rest of you. I assure you, your friends will be with you shortly. Um, and uh, Adrian kind of, uh, she gives you a chance to say goodbyes, uh, knowing that this is a bit of a dick move. Um, <laughs> and uh, Hadrian says, uh, we will meet you outside soon. I must obtain more information here. See if there's a way we can get back up into Orvel. Are you content to wait for us? Oh. Duncan will just give a nod and say, yes, we'll see you when you're finished. Excellent. Thank you, sir. I look forward to serving. And he kind of like grabs your wrist and he says, under you, first captain of the Dawnbreakers. Keep an eye out on Squire Nibs, guardian. Um, defend him as you will defend the spirit of our order. And he kind of smiles and says, for Nibs, anything um and nibs comes over and uh he uh like bows to each of you individually he's trying to make sure that he, he gets everything right and he says uh to duncan um um sir i i think i i've, I've determined um the the oath uh, i want uh like like the shield sisters um i i wish to to defend uh those who can't defend themselves so um, once we're done here, I'm, I'm in the process of, of obtaining some, um, some copper, uh, and I was hoping you could, um, help, uh, swear me in given that, um, and he looks to Hadrian again is like, is this cool? And Hadrian like nods and like, yes, yes. You're talking to the right person way says, um, as a, as a dawnbreaker, sir. We'll get yourself the finest coppers you can. Uh, and Duncan will produce his remaining nine gold pieces and give the boy the purse. And immediately Rusk Oliver shows up and says, Hey, hi. Mm. Did I hear someone needs to obtain copper for gold? <laughs> because after all, I'm the... And Hadrian just clamps his mouth shut, which is an impressive feat for a turtle, uh, like to grab a full turtle face. But Hadrian pulls it off. 
just nods and says, it will be done. Um, and uh, Maka, you uh, you feel a nudge and um, uh, you turn and uh, Jasmine is there. Um, and she says, uh, hey, um, I spent a lot of time uh, being somewhat expendable. <laughs> Uh, you know, when you work around machines all the time that are highly volatile, high in the sky with very little uh, safety, and it always really scared me. Um, I overheard a bit of what you were talking about with uh, with your cycle and, and how you how you think about things. And when when you told the story, I um, I wish that my fellow aeronauts could have heard that because I think that would have made our work a little bit easier, knowing that. It's a cycle, not an end, you know? Mm. Your comrades do not need to have heard it for it to be true, for it to apply to them. You uh, know this now. You know they are. He looks kind of just all around, nowhere in particular, and yep. says, they are out there. Mm. Everywhere uh, now. And uh, she smiles, uh, just in a small moment of unfortunate disfluency, lighting a cigarette, um, and just kind of takes a deep drag. She goes, "Yeah, thanks." Um, and uh, last but definitely least, um, Nerman uh, steps <laughs> forward, and um, he looks a, a little bit bashful. He doesn't really know what to do, but you notice that uh, he's wearing full face makeup now. Um, and uh, over his shoulder, um, you see Fantastic Fred with a little makeup pot give you a thumbs up with a one white smudged thumb. And Nerman immediately looking more comfortable being kind of back in his uniform. Uh, goes to you, Gwendolyn. And um, he says, uh, well, I don't suppose we'll be back in the palace anytime soon. But whatever palace you do find yourself in, I... Hope you will consider uh, my application for Underbutler. Uh, and he hands you an honest-to-God application that he has handwritten uh, <laughs> along with a resume and references. Uh, so three, are, three are his references pages. alive? That's, you don't know. You don't actually know any of these people. Um, he has, Duncan, he Duncan has included Hadrian. Hand. I was going to say, Duncan raises his hand from the side and says, I will be happy to submit a reference on your behalf, Norman. He nods and says, uh, uh, thank you, sir. Um, until then. Um, and he then gives you um, a, a bow that, honestly, Gwendolyn, you don't recognize. Uh, but Duncan, you sure do. Um, and it's, it's an ancient bow. Um, as Orville was first founded, uh, I mean, humans had been enslaved for so long that there weren't really formal traditions. Um, so the earliest bows um, were much closer to miners ducking under um, low beams. And it's the kind of bow that uh, Amala would have done. Uh, and he gives you that one, Gwendolyn, um, and, uh, gives you kind of a nod to each of you. And you realize that he, in addition to studying all the sort of foppish modern stuff has actually studied all the way back. And, uh, aside from wearing the armor, Gwendolyn, this is the first time you have felt 
like a proper part of that lineage. Um, and with that, Gwendolyn, Ita, Maka, Duncan, fortunately also sweet, sweet uh, Fallow Ted, um, and several other guests um, that, uh, that uh, none of you had met, um, kind of almost blink and find yourselves um, on a ridge, um, sort of a, a little ways away. Um, you can see down, uh, as promised, you can still see the tree in the distance and uh, the small fires. Um, but uh, you find yourselves transported, uh, exiled, if you will, um, away from Exile's Moon. Um, and there you kind of gather uh, to watch uh, the festivities in the distance. Um, of course, Maka, Gwendolyn, and Duncan, your thoughts are still of Orvel, which at times uh, feels so close that you could see it, uh, that you could hear the hum of, of the... Uh, the wings. But Duncan, you just went through a mind palace situation. You're pretty sure you know what's here and what isn't. And this isn't in your head. This isn't a reminiscence. You hear the engines of Orvel. And as the clouds part, revealing the exile moon, the moon goes dark as a massive floating shape moves in front of it. Orvel descends from the clouds and a voice echoes seemingly out of some sort of mechanism. You're not sure from where modern terms, we would think loudspeakers, but you hear uh, a voice um, say simply people of Gren. It is a dangerous, dangerous thing to let a debt lapse. This is universal knowledge. This is not something that one should fear or, or fight. It is a simple fact. When there is a debt, one day that debt comes due. You may have forgotten us. We did last visit long, long ago. But we did bring you gifts, gifts to work your minds, gifts to help build your mighty civilizations. And we told you there would be a cost. Well, today that cost comes due. I am Smiteus of the Sinkai. You may not remember our people, and that is partially by design, but trust me, we remember all of you. We remember the so-called high-born races digging and scraping in the dirt, desperate to elevate themselves, and we assisted you. Now, your ancestors may have left that part out of your glorious histories, but rest assured, our ledgers are most excellent. But we understand you may not be aware of the terms of this deal. You may not be aware of what is owed. You may not be aware that we are your superiors. So we realize that we should not deal with you too harshly. And thus we come with a gift. The Singhai have a, a tradition um, in our homes. If a child doesn't finish their leftovers, often the parents will finish the leftovers for them. And there's a reason for that. Leftovers cause guilt. 
they're embarrassing, you feel wasteful, and often you just simply don't know what to do with them. And so, as a sign of goodwill, we shall finish your leftovers for you. If you stand against us, we will destroy you. If you assist us, we will elevate you as we always have. But until then, enjoy our gift. And with that, Orville hums and crackles, and the dark shapes encrusted around it, made of the silvery black Sinkai material, begin to arc with green and purple and red and yellow, lighting up like a brilliant deadly rainbow before firing a massive blast of electricity down, blowing away the exile's moon, obliterating the tree and all who stand near it, eating, as it were, the leftovers of Gren. And that brings us to the end of part one of Curse Code and Crown. This episode of Curse Code and Crown Sound was mixed and edited by Laura Hamstra, and the campaign was created by Tom McGee. Our original theme music was composed by Landon Noblock, and Curse Code and Crown's artwork was created by the brilliant Del Borovic. If you want to follow our players or our DM on Twitter, you can reach out to Laura at EL Hamstring, Ryan at the Ryan LeBlanc. Tyler at Tyler underscore Hewitt, Tom McGee at McGeeTD, or you can message our whole company at Dum Dum Dice. So please join us again for more Curse Code and Crown! Dum Dums and Dice has to give a special thank you to the supreme beings of our Patreon at this time The Half Blind Prophet, Christopher Little, Sue One, George Dolby, Richard Cranium, Sammy Boy, Orion Birchfield, Scott Garland, Benjamin V, Gavin and Abby McDonald, Logan, Fire Unfriendly, Acrix, Grandma Likes D&D, Alan, Austin Nut Powers Fry, Stabby Stranger, Glitch Trick, Roman Brown, Shulzari, Christian Mendez, Spot Allen, Flynn 1138, Alorain Okapi, and Jill and Noel Laplante. If you want your name to be added to this list, you can join our Patreon too at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. Thanks to them, and a little bit of thanks to you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.